episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, where we are helping you live a healthy and pain-free life. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. This is our second show of 2015, and today we're going to be talking about uh, physical therapy, meditation, and I know I've I've had some meditation experts and I've had some neuroscientists on talking about meditation, but today I'm happy to have a physical therapist on talking about medication. This is a lot of the audience uh, that listens to the show. You guys are a lot of physical therapists, so this is really applicable to everyone. So I'm very thrilled to have on the show today Pauline Lucas. She is a doctor of physical therapy through Northern Arizona University and a board-certified women's health clinical specialist who received her initial physical therapy training in the Netherlands. She is a certified yoga and meditation teacher and recently completed the Mayo Clinic Wellness Coaching Program, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about that a little bit as well. She has over 30 years of experience working in various aspects of the fitness, wellness, and healthcare industry. Dr. Lucas has been working as a physical therapist at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona for the past 13 years, where her focus is on the treatment of people with various orthopedic as well as women's health conditions. Her treatments integrate yoga and meditation with more conventional physical therapy methods. She is involved in various initiatives and research activities related to integrative medicine. She created and taught the program Relax at Work is a regular presenter on wellness topics for employees and is currently teaching the popular basic meditation classes for the Mayo Clinic employees, volunteers, and patients. She is a speaker for local and national medical and physical therapy conferences. She was a presenter at CSM in Las Vegas last year in 2014. Her presentation, Practical Application of Yoga-Based Techniques in the Treatment of Chronic Pain, was a success with the room filled to capacity and concerns for problems with the fire marshal. I actually heard about that last year. Um, and we'll get into her contact info and everything later. So, Dr. Lucas, uh, hello and welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Karen. It's nice to be on. So, like I said, I've had uh, meditation gurus, if you will. I've had neuroscientists. But this is the first time we have a physical therapist who is also a meditation teacher. And we hear more and more in the news and in research of how meditation has such a positive effect on people, especially people suffering with painful conditions. As physical therapists, the majority of time we see people is when they have pain. So the two seem to be a really great relationship. So before we get into that, let's back it up a little bit and let people get a little bit more, let people know you a little bit better. Um, so the, question, the first question is, why did you start meditating and when? How long ago? Well, I think I started unofficially meditating during PT school. And so this was a long time ago, at least, well, more than 30 years ago. And so I did my training in the Netherlands, and we incorporated a lot of more holistic-type therapies um, within the training. So I learned about autogenic training uh, from Dr. Schultz, which is like a self-hypnosis. I learned about a progressive uh, muscle relaxation and um, breathing exercises and uh, body awareness. So I started incorporating these things for myself and it came quite naturally. And I was also an aerobics instructor and I would start teaching these. I actually did a Shavasana at the end of aerobics 30 years ago. (laughs) Um, And I would start uh, treating patients with what we called hyperventilation at the time. I would guess now it would be more anxiety. And uh, I would teach them autogenic training techniques. And I knew absolutely nothing about neuroscience. All I knew is that it worked. And when I came to America, I kind of dropped all these techniques. And um, I don't think I practice any of them myself anymore. I was a little bit afraid of incorporating it in physical therapy in America because I seem to be the only one thinking this way. Um, And then the next thing that happened was I had a patient who invited me to come along to one of her Buddhist meditation practices. And I decided, why not? I'll go along. And I had a phenomenal experience, and I never did it again. Don't ask me why. And then the next thing that happened was um, I had more severe morning sickness during my second pregnancy. And I came to work feeling quite miserable. 
And one of my patients was, had been, I've been seeing her a few times and she was not the most happy person, I would say. And she was blissfully happy sitting on a stationary bicycle. So I was really curious and I said, what's happened since I last saw you? And she said, well, I learned how to meditate. And I didn't even care about the details. All I thought was, I want what she has. Mm. And so within a week or two weeks, I learned how to do transcendental meditation at the time. And it worked really well for my morning sickness problems because, because it calmed me down. And as long as I stayed very calm, I didn't have the morning sickness. And so it really helped me during the rest of the pregnancy. It helped me during the delivery and then a year later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I was also going through divorce. And yeah, that, which was quite a, quite a lot to deal with. And that's when I truly realized the benefits of meditation, because it really, I really I relied on that meditation practice in order to, to survive and to actually, strangely enough, thrive during that process. It just gave me the calm to deal with all the big decisions I had to make and all the big changes and to keep fear at bay. So that's, uh, and I've meditated ever since and became more and more um, motivated to teach others as well. You can't help it when something is that working that well for you, you want to teach it. Of course, when you have such a positive and kind of life-changing experience, you want to share it. You exactly. Know, you want to teach it. Now, did you learn any sort of, so transcendental meditation, do, do you... Did you learn from any specific teachers or did you do guided meditations when you first started? How did you, how did you start? Well, when I started doing the um, <coughs> transcendental meditation, that's a very, very specific training. And you have to go to somebody who is a certified transcendental meditation teacher. And the meditation worked really well for me, but it isn't something that I can just teach to another person. And the other thing that happened was that it started... When you start meditating, you become more aware of yourself and you start asking a lot of big questions at some point about life and the meaning of life and, and all these kind of big questions, which I didn't find answers for within the transcendental meditation uh, literature. So when I was going through my life-changing events, combined with the questions I already had, I also started looking into other uh, meditation techniques and other meditation groups and communities. And so I learned many different meditation techniques, the transcendental meditation, but also all kinds of other techniques, um, you know, Buddhist type techniques, Hindu type techniques, and um, eventually came out with just my own combination of different practices that worked well for me. Mm -hmm. But when I wanted to teach it to other people, I did not want to have the spiritual aspects in there, the religious aspects because I wanted to teach it to anybody without people feeling that, you know, I was converting them or doing something religious within the physical therapy. And so I then started really researching what is the commonality between all these techniques. And, you know, I started teaching more body-based techniques like breathing exercises, like body awareness mm -hmm. and those kind of things that are very applicable to anybody of any faith or yeah. no faith. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think that kind of rolls right into the next question that I was going to ask. And it's how do you integrate meditation into a PT practice? Because, you know, a lot of times you're seeing two patients. And if you're in an outpatient clinic, sometimes you're seeing two people an hour. If you're lucky, you're seeing one, maybe 45 minutes. Sometimes it's four people an hour. So it can be hectic. There's a lot of people around. So how do you integrate meditation into a PT practice when you've got all this stuff going on around yeah, that's, you? That's a really great question. And I really thought about that because I am in a very fortunate position of seeing one patient per hour. Mm, nice. It hasn't always been that way, mm -hmm. you know, but right now that's what I have. And I have a room I can go into, you know, we have treatment rooms. So that is ideal, but... I will also now, you know, in the beginning, I think I was a little nervous about just teaching it to anybody anywhere, mm -hmm. but now I'm so comfortable with it that I might, I might teach it in the middle of the gym. Mm -hmm. It's not as easy, but it's mm -hmm. real life mm -hmm. because not everybody can uh, go to a quiet room to meditate all the time. Exactly. It might be great to do it for, you know, 20 seconds while you're waiting for the light to change or while you're in line in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So it is real life. Mm -hmm. um, but there's two things to your, to your um, question. One is... First of all, if I meditate regularly, 
I can handle the hassle of and the, and the juggling of four mm. patients in sure. an hour. Sure, I'm calmer and I can be focusing better, you know, from one patient to the next. But having said that, it will still be a real challenge to focus on teaching someone how to meditate when you have that kind of a workload. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two things you can do. One is you can say, hey, you know, these are some techniques that I think are going to be very helpful for your condition. How about today we spend our 10 or 15 minutes on doing some meditation exercises, some breathing exercises, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Um, the other option would be that you just have some knowledge on it and you can refer them elsewhere. You might have a little handout that has some websites or some guided meditations or some CDs, something like that available. So you just let them know that this is available Mm -hmm. and they can then do the research on it and decide whether they want to do it. Or you could send them to, like in your area, the Tibet house or Mm -hmm. those kind of places. So the physical therapist doesn't have to be the one to teach it. It might just be the one to point out where to go and how to go about it and what the benefits might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And have you, in your integration of meditation, hit any stumbling blocks? And if so, what do you do to kind of get over them? And that could be internal within you, external within the clinic with other therapists thinking, what is this lady doing, (laughs) you know, or the patient saying, what is this lady doing? And that's exactly, you just hit the nail on the head because I realized that my stumbling blocks were inside of me at first. It was my own fear because I thought, this really works for me. I really believe in this. But what if they think I'm really weird? Or what if the, the patient goes back to the physician and says, this therapist is doing some really wacky stuff mm-hmm. and, the, and the physician is going to never send me another patient. Yeah, yeah. I think those were my fears sure. because especially when I started this, we're talking 15 years ago or so. And so I didn't have the backup of all the nice research that's available now. Now sure. I feel very supported because I can tell you why we do this and what's happening with neuroplasticity, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, most of the time, the physicians and the patients have some awareness as well because they've heard about it. Right. So, you know, it's kind of out of the, that woo-woo arena, at least in my neck of the woods here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in many uh, areas. Yeah, I think so. So, so that was my main stumbling block. But then I've also had a few other um, a recurring stumbling block, and that was people saying, I don't meditate because I am a, and then they would mention their particular religion. Mm. Which was so interesting because the very first time that happened was, gosh, maybe 10 years ago. And the woman said, I can't meditate. I'm a Christian. And I thought, wow, somehow I don't think that that excludes being a meditator at the same time. But I'm going to have to do some research on this. So I did. So I actually enrolled in a class on centering prayer, which is the Christian meditation it's like almost like transcendental meditation, but it's in a whole Christian perspective. Hmm. Just so I would learn, you know, the, the, the wording, the philosophy behind meditation within the Christian perspective. And so when a next patient would come in, or actually with this patient even, I could explain that this is what, what's behind it. And this is a reason why you might still try it. Uh-huh. And, but, you know, I will never force it, never. Sure, sure. Uh, and more recently, I had another patient also for religious reasons saying, I don't do meditation. And I said well, how do you feel about just doing some breathing exercises? And she said, that's fine. So sometimes it's also about how I use the words, Mm. you know, because you you can see meditation as certain breathing exercises, breathing awareness. That's the the base of of meditation is the breath, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I'm not forceful ever about meditation. And I think I do kind of... um, I pick and choose who I think this would be really helpful for, you know? I mean, I think I use some component of meditation or visualization or definitely mindfulness during most treatments, but I'm not going to tell every patient to go sit down every day for 20 minutes to meditate because for some people that's really not necessary. I mean, I think it it would be great for everybody, but it doesn't always apply to the particular treatment they need or the particular diagnosis they come in for. And have you found with some patients, if they're a little hesitant, uh, explaining them, like you said before, it's sort of the neurological, the, the uh, plasticity of the brain and how uh, meditation does have, you know, an impact on 
brain functioning. Sometimes people like this, if they know the science behind it, it separates it from being a, re, like, quote unquote, religious act, I guess. Absolutely. Being a, more of a medical act, I guess. Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly right. And I, you know, working in a place like Mayo Clinic, people expect that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's an environment that expects that. Uh, evidence-based is a biggie, like mm-hmm. in most people's environment, but mm-hmm. maybe even a little more in that type of environment. Um, and I think that is the beauty of being in the medical field and teaching this. You need to know some mm-hmm. of some of the research. You need to know some of the, uh, the science behind it. And I would say the people that I teach most of the time are people with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of women with chronic pelvic pain, for example. And um, with them, I, I, and, and people with chronic stressors, which often goes hand in hand. The pain can be a stressor, of course, and the chronic stress can add to the pain. And I typically do the pain education, like you may have experienced with uh, Laura Mosley mm-hmm. and um, uh, David Butler. So I spend quite a bit of time these days on educating the mechanisms of pain and what's mm-hmm. happening in the body, the changes in the nervous system. And then I really um, focus on explaining the autonomic nervous system, sympathetic versus parasympathetic. And then I explain how meditation can make a change in the balance between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic uh, nervous system activity mm-hmm. and how with chronic pain we're working on reducing sympathetic nervous system activity and increasing parasympathetic nervous uh, system activity and how meditation can help that. And so, yeah, I definitely um, educate a lot because that is really a strategy to get people to be motivated and want to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. and. You know, again, that's kind of a nice lead into the next question is, you know, you had mentioned at the Mayo Clinic. So when people think Mayo Clinic, you know, they think one of the most prestigious medical systems in the country. You know, you have the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic. You know, these are big, uh, very nationally known hospitals. So how do you promote meditation, which some people, like you said, it's not, it's sort of been pulled out of the woo-woo realm, I think, in, the, in, in this day and age. But there are a lot of people who, when they think of meditation, they think of, you know, like a hippie, dippy kind of, you know, person and someone who's like just totally relaxed or maybe a little detached from the real world. Um, and so how do you promote meditation within the Mayo Clinic or that sort of culture of a very large medical organization? Yeah, so in the very beginning, I was just kind of um, flying under the radar, so to speak, because I was a little concerned, as I said, about, gosh, is this actually okay here or not? Um, but pretty soon, it's, I started connecting with other people that had similar ideas, and that is what was very helpful. So in the beginning, uh, I was part of a spirituality work group, and I became part of an integrative medicine uh, committee. Um, So I had some support in that area, and some of the physicians uh, would refer patients to me knowing what I was doing. I was integrating craniosacral therapy, my fascia release, so more integrative or holistic strategies. Um, And... I think, too, gradually when you work in a place, because I've been working there for 13 years now, uh, I think that gradually I was building trust. You know, people uh, started trusting that I wouldn't just sit with uh, incense and right. feathers right. and right. things like that. Ringing bells and, and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then what I started doing, too, because I also teach yoga, I started doing lectures, wellness lectures on the benefits of yoga, on stress and how to reduce stress and then meditation. So it was a very gradual process um, of, of doing more of these things and gaining support from my coworkers, uh, educating my coworkers, educating uh, employees. And then really the change in the time has been on my side, mm-hmm. you know, with more and more research coming out with Oprah talking about meditation and you know, Dr. Oz and everything, people became more open-minded. Plus, I wasn't alone in this. There are people in the psychology department doing biofeedback and teaching mindfulness. And uh, there's a really well-known physician at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, and his name is Dr. Amit Sood. 
And he has done a lot of research uh, with mindfulness and with, um, he teaches classes, it's called SMART, uh, stress management oh. and um, resilience training. And so people like him, you know, all of us together have just gradually made meditation and mindfulness more of a mainstream thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned in your introduction, I started, I put a class together. It was a four-week class for employees on stress reduction, and uh, it included meditation. And then um, a year and a half or so ago, I was on a pad- panel for integrative medicine, and I talked about meditation. And the people that were hosting this said, why don't you start teaching meditation classes here in the clinic on a regular basis? And I thought that was a great idea. And they organized everything. And I just taught the class twice a month. And we still do that twice a month for 30 minutes. It's for employees and for uh, volunteers and for patients. Anybody can show up. And it's broadcast to the entire Mayo Clinic. People can watch it on their computer. And they archive it for people to watch it later. So it's been a very gradual process. And, uh, you know, it's been really gaining support. I now get a lot of invitations from other uh, departments to come and teach meditation. That's great. And I think the, the biggest thing, it seems to me, from what you said was the education component seemed to be a great tool and, and way to get more people on board. Yeah, so yeah. educating your fellow coworkers, not just the patients, but your coworkers, your administrators. So if people are listening now and maybe they're in a large hospital chain and they are into meditation themselves and they want to bring it into more mainstream into their hospital, it seems like the first step would be to educate, to offer some free lectures. Yeah. And things that's, like that's, that. Exactly. Just so people... and. And I think also, you know, with um, possible referral sources, to have them experience it. Mm-hmm. So to go into somebody's office and just offer an introductory lecture. And, you know, you need to be comfortable, first of all, with your own meditation and with teaching some of these things, which mm-hmm. is really, it's quite easy, really. But you need to have a basic understanding uh, before you can teach it. You have to have practice it yourself before of you course. can teach it, like anything else, of right? Of course, of course. Um, yeah, but then if, you, if you're comfortable with that, to just have people experience a body scan or slow, deep breathing mm-hmm. or breath awareness, these, it's so powerful when you give that experience yeah. to somebody. And uh, I did decide to get certified because I felt that working in a large medical organization, it's important to have you know, some it, credentials. Yeah, it's nice to have those initials after your name. Where yeah. did you get certified uh, I got certified at the McLean Meditation Institute, which is in Sedona, oh, okay. and the, um, the director is uh, Sarah McLean, and the reason I decided to go uh, with her training, because I did quite a bit of research, and I was really thinking of uh, doing the uh, MBSR training with John Kabat-Zinn, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, I, it was a very lengthy training, it was very expensive, and when I came across uh, Sarah's um, uh, training, and I actually met her when she was doing a lecture. I thought, you know, I think that's that's exactly what I need. I think a lot of the things that she was teaching, I'm already teaching. Mm-hmm. But it was really wonderful to go through the training and to really have to go through the research and um, learn to teach a particular protocol, a particular program that I thought was very applicable to mm-hmm. my particular um, environment. Yeah, So so... The advice is to do your research and find what resonates with you the most, as if, exactly. if you're looking to get certified. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's what I would do. And what I liked about Sarah is that she had a lot of experience, that she had been a, a training, a meditation teacher for Deepak Chopra for a long time, mm-hmm. had been meditating, I don't know how long, 20, 30 years herself. And... Um, her meditation teaching was just very down to earth and it didn't adhere to any particular set of beliefs that mm-hmm. you had to, had to mm-hmm. stick with. Mm-hmm. So it's very applicable to many different uh, environments. Cool. And did you get yeah. to, did you do it in Sedona? Yes. That's the, question. That's, close. that's the best part. If you can, if you get to go to Sedona for it, then it's, you well, know, <laughs> worth the You know, I live close to Sedona, yeah. so Sedona is my home from home, home away yeah. from home, really. Uh, but it's you know it's a program that you that is self-paced and you do it uh, a lot of it online and mm-hmm. on Facebook and via um, uh, phone uh, meetings, 
And then in the end, there's an intensive, which is an eight-day program. And that is in Sedona. And nice. uh, Gosh, if you've never been there, yes. Have it's, you been there? I have. I have. Yeah, it's fabulous. It's, it's a pretty amazing, amazing yeah. place. I don't know that I felt the vortex, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, we, we went, of course, when I went, you know, for people who don't know, Sedona's the high desert in Arizona. I went in the end of January thinking this is going to be great. It's going to, it snowed. <laughs> it snowed. Like never ever snows and rarely snows, put it that way. And it snowed to the point where the car that I had rented was unusable because it was snowing, it rained, it flooded, there were lands. It was, it was something, but those red rocks look really beautiful with snow on them. <laughs> I will say that. You no, know, Karen, it's amazing you tell me this story because last week for New Year's Eve, I was going to a meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. I never made it because my car couldn't make it through the snow. In Sedona? So I was in Sedona. I was four miles away from the oh. retreat center. I could not get there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I had to uh, <laughs> rent. I was staying, a patient, a former patient of mine um, has a house there. And she was like, go stay at my house for the weekend. So we went out, and thank God they have, like, a GMC truck. So I yeah. had to ditch my little uh, car and a truck. Anyway, it ended up being a lovely vacation. But, you know, of course, when I go, it snows, sleets, rains. And then the day we left, it was, like, 65 degrees and sunny. Yeah, that's exactly my experience, too. And that's the time to take really great pictures of the snow yeah. and the blue sky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, but, about the for- but about the vortex, it depends what you expect. I mean, yeah. people, some people say there's a heightened energy there. I don't know. You know, to me, it's just a gorgeous place. It's, it's a, it's, It is a bit of a magical place, but mm-hmm. I think it's also because it's beautiful. And the energy part, everybody has different experiences mm-hmm. there. Some people can't stand being there, and some people mm-hmm. just have really great experience. You know, it's a matter of just going there and trying it out. Yeah, yeah, but it is beautiful. So yeah. if anyone's listening, if you haven't been to Sedona, I highly suggest you go because it's fairly amazing. Um, okay, getting back to our conversation. Um, so looking at meditation within the PT uh, plan of care, what benefits does meditation add to the PT plan of care? There are a lot of benefits. And um, I think the very main, or there's two, two main ones that come to mind. And the first one is increased body awareness. I think a lot of our patients are a bit disconnected from their bodies. And because of that, they're also not quite aware of how they might be contributing to the ongoing pain. If you are not aware that you constantly hike up your shoulders to your ears, then you might have ongoing neck pain because you keep tensing your muscles. So I believe that by doing the meditation, by regularly doing a body scan, uh, by learning to uh, observe your breath, by calming yourself down, you become just more aware of how your body's feeling and of the subtle, subtle changes in your body and the subtle changes you can make as a result of what you experience. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of people that after we go through a body scan, they say, I had no idea I clenched my buttocks the whole time or I have no idea I clenched my jaw the whole time. Well, when they become aware of that, now they have a choice. You know, you, you, need, well, you need awareness to have a choice and make a change. Of course. And I also wonder, you know, with meditation, it's sort of increasing that awareness of that body part. Um, in people with chronic pain, you know, it, you look at uh, the work of Butler and Mosley and they talk about smudging within that sensory cortex and how the, the brain sort of doesn't have a clear outline of that painful body part, sort of exactly. little smudge, and then that pain s- starts to kind of spread. So um, might meditation help to bring more awareness to that body part? Can it help in decreasing that sort of smudging within the, within the uh, sensory cortex? And these are just a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. what exact work has been done on this, but... Um, to me, it, it, it kind of could integrate nicely with, like you said, you do a lot of patient education on pain, and, and I think it might be a nice integration. 
Yeah, and that. that actually leads me to that second part of why it might be really important to your plan of care. And that is that pain has a lot of emotions attached to it. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, a lot of people come in and they're in fear. Like nobody Absolutely. has been able to diagnose me. What if they missed something? Mm-hmm. And, and what if this pain is actually telling me that I'm about to die because I have a tumor and nobody found it? And so often there's a lot of fear or there's resentment because somebody else caused this. Maybe sure. some injury or sure. somebody spilled something and you slip in it. And then there's fear of the future. So there's a lot of emotional... Um, Catastrophization. Exactly, around this pain. And what I believe, or what I know from research too, what happens when you meditate, when there's more mindfulness, is that it, you become less reactive. So what patients learn is they learn to be aware of the sensations, but with less of all the emotional mm-hmm. beliefs and thoughts around it. And so that's what we might do because some people are very afraid when I say we're going to meditate and now we're going to actually go to that pain. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, doesn't that make it all worse? And I say, well, well let's, let's try it, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we try and do at that point is to try and notice the sensations more objectively instead of, oh, it's my bad leg that hurts, like you, I don't know what. We're going to just notice the sensations that are there. Just notice it. And can you notice them and allow them to be there without tensing up, without trying to push it away? And interestingly, I did this during childbirth. And I can tell you, it worked for me. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So during childbirth, I mean, we can be very afraid of, you know, oh my gosh, my body is causing all this pain. and, And there is pain. I had two, two lucky things. One is that I grew up in a culture that wasn't as, is not as afraid. And uh, so I wasn't raised with all the fears around it. So during childbirth classes, I was on the one end of the imaginary line of the people that did not want an epidural. And all my friends in the class were on the other side of the line <laughs> because they knew for sure they were going to get that. Right, right. I also don't like needles in my back. But, so, um, <clears throat> but during, the, during, the, during the process of, of uh, giving birth, I focused on the sensations, I actually became very mindful. I focused on the sensations and what my uterus was doing at the time instead of being afraid of it. Mm. And, you know, I can't speak for everybody else. I haven't done, I've not done any research, but to me that was effective. It was like a long meditation. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's um, kudos to you. <laughs> and, you know, but it, so for my, for my patients, I feel, you know, that, that the, Reducing the emotional charge around the pain. I think that is really important. And by being more, you know, with our pain, med- pain education, by patients understanding more what's going on, all these things reduce the fear about the pain. And that, sure. you know, I think that um, David Butler and Lorimer mostly talk about that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I hurt, but I'm safe. Mm-hmm. And that's really the message that I want to get across mm-hmm. to, to my patients. And I believe that there's, I mean, there's neuroplasticity, there's changes in the brain showing that there's reduced activity yeah. in the amygdala, in the for example, amygdala, the yeah. fear center during pain with people that are trained meditators. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, you know, when I interviewed Sarah Lazar, neuroscientist out of Harvard, that's exactly what they found was that that reduced output from the amygdala. And, and they still f- experience pain, but the unpleasantness of the pain is much less. Exactly, exactly. So I think that goes hand in hand. You know, you reduce that unpleasantness of the pain, reduce the fear of the pain. And like you said, I may be in pain, but I'm not damaged. Exactly, exactly. Damaged goods. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm also working with, sometimes people are so wrapped up in their pain and up for obvious reasons and their whole life has turned into Mm -hmm. an event of pain Mm -hmm. and what I do sometimes with the body scan is say which area of your body feels good and sometimes they look at me and say nothing and I say okay so how is your left foot how's your big toe is it in pain well no it's not okay and so that might be that Mm -hmm. smudging I don't know but Mm -hmm. so we go over different parts and ask them how does that part feel and then they actually realize, actually, it's not my whole body. It's an area of my mm. body. But actually, 90% of my body actually does feel okay. So That must give a lot of relief to the patient to know that 
because sometimes people come in and you'll say, you know, how are you? How are you feeling? Everything hurts. Exactly. You know, and that happens a lot. And, and the exactly. odds that everything hurts are pretty, pretty slim. Unless exactly. Unless you've just been hit by a bus or something. But Then chances you know, are you, everything then hurts. Then chances right. are everything hurts, you know. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that never happens, but it can certainly happen. Um, yeah. And I, I find I use the body scan. Um, I've actually used it fairly successfully with post-operative patients. So if I have a post-op shoulder patient who, you know, they're still in the passive range of motion Mm -hmm. phase after a rotator cuff tear, let's say, rotator cuff repair. And, you know, you go to move them and everything tenses up. And so then I'm like, okay, we need to... So like you, again, I have an hour with my patients and I'm treating them in their home or in their office. So I have no interruptions. So I should point that out first. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So I may have the time to do a 10 minute body scan. And after you do that, I remember I was with a guy who works at a hedge fund. He's, you know, very high up um, guy. So very type A New York, you know, and he opened his eyes. He's like, that was amazing. Ah. And then it was easier to to get some movement out of his arm, you know, but it was exactly. it was nice because it also so it helped to relax him and helped to I think decrease that automatic muscle guarding around the shoulder but also gave him you know, I think an overall relief in the middle of his day. Exactly. Now, and do you find too that you were more relaxed too, most likely? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So even as a therapist, if you're going in and grabbing someone's arm and they're tensing up, are are you maybe tensing up, or maybe did you grip a little too hard and cause them to tense? You know. So it's when whenever you put your hands on someone, there's you're exchanging that energy. You're exchanging neuro neuro like neurological systems right there's an exchange exactly there, there so. is exactly and actually our brains get entrained when yeah. we're close to another person yeah so i believe therefore that's important that i have a regular meditation practice and that i practice mindfulness because i am my goal is to be 100 percent present in the room mm-hmm. and not have 50 percent still elsewhere mm-hmm. and you i'm sure you've had the experience too either getting a massage or having a doctor's visit with the person there being half present for you, uh-huh. but kind of also being elsewhere. And it's an unpleasant experience. You can uh-huh. feel it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I believe that for my patient, they feel heard, they feel seen, and they, they trust me because they can tell that I'm in the room and I'm really aware of what's going on. And um, I like also in the beginning of a treatment to start with just a few moments of taking some slow, deep breaths, uh-huh. especially when people come rushing in from busy traffic, busy job, because then we're both really present and now we can really work together. And I feel like when I do manual therapy, I can really feel what's going on mm-hmm. when I really pay attention. But when sure. half again, when half of me is in <laughs> yeah. the room, I'm going to miss things. Right. And actually, you know, you've heard of John Kabat-Zinn, right? Mm-hmm. And he, uh, so he writes, he actually wrote in his book, Full Catastrophe Living, a little bit about physical therapy. And if, is there time for me to read a little bit? Because sure. I think it's such a great um, thing that he writes about the the benefits of mindfulness in physical therapy. And so here it says in his book, uh, Full Catastrophe Living, which is really a book I recommend. He says, even physical therapy, which is specifically oriented toward teaching and prescribing stretching and strengthening exercises for people who are recovering from surgery or who have chronic pain, is usually taught without paying attention to breathing, and without enlisting the person's innate ability to relax into the stretching and the strengthening exercises. Often physical therapists undertake to teach people to do healing things for their bodies while neglecting two of the most powerful allies people have for healing, the breath and the mind. Time and again, our patients with pain problems report that their physical therapy sessions go much better when they use awareness of breathing as they perform their exercises. It's as if a whole new dimension of what they are being asked to do is revealed to them. And their physical therapists often comment on the dramatic changes they seem to have undergone. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And it's also nice to to have physical therapy mentioned by someone who's, you know, uh, can have a lot of influence over people. 
Exactly. Yeah, John yeah. Kabat-Zinn, for somebody people may not know, but yeah. he is, has really been a pioneer in uh, mindfulness and really has brought that to medical organizations um, where a lot of medical organizations have adopted his program, which is mindfulness-based stre- stress reduction, mm-hmm. which is an eight-week pretty intense program mm-hmm. of um, body scanning and yoga and just learning techniques to reduce stress and to learn to live with uh, challenging situations like chronic pain. Absolutely. And and it helps, you know, it definitely helps. So yeah. I think we've sort of covered, I was going to ask what types of benef- patients benefit from meditation, but I think we can probably say almost everyone. Almost um, everyone. Almost but definitely everyone. the ones with chronic pain. Yes, absolutely. And, to, and stress-related issues, which is most people. Yeah, which is pretty much <laughs> almost everyone. Um <laughs> So the next question is, you know, as physical therapists, we're with our patients a couple hours a week. If we're lucky, they're with themselves the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. So how do you encourage, encourage patients to practice at home? Um, so uh, first of all, I explain the benefits of doing this on a regular basis, ideally daily. Mm-hmm. The beginning, you know, it, it might be ideal to sit for two times a day for 20 minutes, but that's when most patients will already tell me they're not going to do it. Forget it, yeah. So, yeah, so typically I, I, I go, you know, I do a little bit of a, we come to an agreement, and often that is five minutes once a day to start mm-hmm. out. And if that works, they might realize how enjoyable it is, and they might add another five minutes at another time of the day, or they might extend it a little bit. And some people right away want to do the 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It, it just depends on their schedule, their experience, mm-hmm. their, you know, their um, Comfortableness mindset. Yeah, yeah. And then we um, talk about what would be the best way for them. And so what I tell them, ideal is first thing in the morning, but that doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have little kids or, you yeah. know, they can't do it. What I like about first time of the day, and this is what I learned from uh, Sarah McLean, and it's called RPM, and it's Rise, P Meditate. So before you do anything else, you go sit, you know, you go to the bathroom and you sit down to meditate before your day gets going. And for me, it works the best. Um, sometimes it's hard because you want to use the snooze button on mm-hmm. the alarm. You know, I mean, <laughs> so you really need to uh, make an agreement with yourself that that's your plan. And you, then it's very important to decide ahead of time what it is you're going to do. Where are you going to sit? Are you going to sit in your bed? Or are you going to sit in a chair outside of your bed? Um, are you going to listen to uh, a guided meditation? Or are you going to do five minutes of just noticing your breathing. So have a plan. Very important because early in the morning you might just kind of doze off otherwise. So have a real clear plan and set some type of timer. So you know when those five minutes are up so you don't all of a sudden lose 20 minutes and now you're late to work. And, and then now you're stressed. <laughs> and now you're really stressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's really important to plan it out. And um, the way you want to get out of meditation is through some gentle sound, not the, not the kitchen timer, you know, not, nothing aggressive because now you have heart palpitations when right. you're done. Um, right. I personally really like Inside Timer, and that's an app. Okay. And uh, I think you can get it for free, but if you want to get the more updated version, you get, it's like $1.99. What I like about it is you can set the timer and you can personalize, you know, whatever dings you want to hear when you come out, whatever gongs or right. bells. And uh, they also have a lot of guided meditations oh, nice. of all kinds of duration. Um, uh, you know, Sarah McLean is on there. Uh, Sharon Salzberg has a meditation on there. Oh, cool. And you can look for one that's one minute. You can look for one that's five minutes. And I think there's 50 or 60. It's Insight, I N S I G H T. Correct. Yeah. Insight. And I love timer. that one. Yeah. Okay. And Great. People that like to track their progress, you, you can track how many minutes you meditated. And cool. So, you know, I like that one a lot. Um, so a lot of my patients do that. A lot of my patients record me. So as yeah. I am guiding them through meditation, I invite them to use that smartphone, which yeah. I love that smartphone for oh, their home great. exercises, for their meditation. I, use, I know. I use, their, I use people's iPads and their phones. So when they're doing their yeah. exercises, I videotape them doing their exercises. I give them the little hints that they need. And that's what they use when they do their exactly. exercises. It's like having exactly. their own little personalized exercise video. Exactly, yeah. I do the same thing. Yeah, and, that's a uh, great idea. Good suggestion. So they, they listen to my voice because they've had the experience of being peaceful because I, when I guide them and they're in a room uh-huh. that's quiet. So listening to that same voice helps them then yeah. to relax easier. That makes so sense. that's another way to do it. We have, happen to also have free CDs at Mayo mm-hmm. that they can pick up at their mm-hmm. patient library. Yes. Um, and, you know, I have 
books. Another one that people might like is, um, I think it's called, it's also an app, and I think it's called Mayo Clinic Meditation. And that one is uh, developed by Dr. Amit Sood, the one that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. in Rochester. And this one is uh, paced breathing. So it's, that's all it is. It has a little explanation first of what it is and mm-hmm. how you go about doing it. There's a five-minute version and a 15-minute version. Cool. And it just guides you through breathing in for five seconds, breathing out for five seconds. Mm-hmm. And they've done research that that is an average pace to reduce attention in the sympathetic nervous system. Great. And so and that one, I think, is also like one or two ninety nine. I'm not sure. Uh, but some of my patients find that one helpful. Cool. That sounds so, great. Great uh, resources. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And then I refer people, you know, people, some people are really interested. They want to learn more. And then I have a list of resources in my area. And, you know, I find out what, if they are religious. And if so, I can have, can have places that match their belief systems mm-hmm. or yoga studios or, you know, cool. and especially areas like where you are, where I am in Phoenix, there's a lot available here. Yeah. It yeah, might be really a little is. more challenging elsewhere, but I mean, with the internet, that's what the Sharon Salzberg, she has guided meditations. YouTube has guided meditations. Yeah. Um, Tara Brack, I think is her name, B-R-A-C-H. She has a lovely website with lots of guided meditations, all free. Uh, there's so much available these yeah. days. Yeah, there really is. It's just a point of, of uh, making a plan, like you exactly. said, and doing it. And that's really where coaching comes in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> really helping to get to a plan that is doable yeah. and to reach the goals. Yeah. And, and I think uh, what a lot of PTs uh, would wonder about all of this, because, you know, we all need to make a living and we all need to document what we do during our sessions. So how do you document and bill? Yeah. So when I document, I talk about... Um, patient was instructed in and performed um, relaxation and meditation techniques. And then I described the particular techniques, for example, um, uh, body awareness techniques, breath awareness techniques, uh, paced breathing. Mm -hmm. So I list the techniques and then I list the reason or what the benefits are in order to help reduce um, uh, the activity in the sympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. with the purpose of reducing muscle tension or with the purpose of patient becoming more aware of muscle tension so they can learn how to relax. So I put it in wording that, um, that is physical therapy wording. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, what, do and you, what CPT code do you bill? Typically neuromuscular re-education. 97112, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, you know, it says coordination. I mean, coordination, breathing, deep coordination, breathing. Breathing, I mean, sure. Coordination, sure. And the proprioception and... Yeah, and I think pain, like when we do pain education, you know, typically yeah, that's neuromuscular education yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I As I've far as to. I know, it hasn't been denied ever. Cool. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. The, these are, um, believe it or not, we're like pretty much out of time. It went so fast. <laughs> and even though I have more questions to ask and we don't have time, we'll be here for another half an hour. Um, but what are, so your big takeaways for people listening today. So let's say for any healthcare practitioner that might be thinking about adding this to their program. My very first big takeaway would be explore it for yourself and see what it does for you. That, that's where it needs to start because mm-hmm. if you just go to a course to teach it, I... I don't think that's the best way to go. You know, just like it's hard to start teaching exercise to your patient if you never exercise. Mm-hmm. I feel that you're a much better teacher and a much more convincing teacher if you have experienced firsthand all the challenges that come with starting a meditation practice, such as talking yourself out of it, thinking you're getting really bored, mm-hmm. uh, thinking that you, you know, when are the uh, heavenly angels starting to sing? Right. And actually that never happens, man. Where, where's that white light? How come I'm not seeing that white light? Or is it a gold light or a blue light? I remember Sharon Salzberg was talking about that. And she's like, she's like, oh yeah, that's right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And that's why I think it's so important that you start learning for yourself and, and experience the benefits and show up as a more mindful practitioner of whatever mm-hmm. it is you do. Mm-hmm. And then from there, when you feel that, gosh, this is really beneficial for me, 
then you're going to automatically start integrating some of these these things. And when you really get into it, you might want to take a, a course and mm-hmm. really get more deeply into it or explore a little research or read a book like John Kabat-Zinn's book, for example, mm-hmm. on meditation or Sarah McLean's book on meditation or any of the other ones that maybe match your particular belief system. But that's how I would go about it. But I think it's also important just to learn a little bit about it so you can ed- educate your patients mm-hmm. sure. or clients, whether you're going to teach it to them or not. But just know it's out there. Know that there's tremendous benefits and no side effects. And so it's something that, you know, a lot of patients might really be interested in and learning more about. Yeah, and something that they can then carry on past their time with you. Exactly. And what I think, it's just such an empowering thing to do. Mm -hmm. Because it's something you can do on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I want to thank you. I had a great, this was a great conversation. I'm sure, I know that people are going to take a lot away from this, from the resources that you mentioned and, and sort of, and your journey from meditation student to teacher to, you know, educating the masses. So I thank you so much for taking the time out. And FYI, people, this took so long to get this interview. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Probably my fault. I take 100% blame on this. But we're talking, this has been like at least two months. I'm trying to nail this <laughs> oh, down. Oh, I think about I was, four. <laughs> four. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's horrifying. I'm horrified by myself. But, you know. Whatever. The timing was probably just perfect. Yeah, the That's timing how I was like right. to think about exactly. It. <laughs> this was it could have been a terrible interview if I did it four months ago. <laughs> so um, I want to thank you for your patience with me and thank you again for coming on and, and sharing what you know. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Great. And everyone, um, uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll catch you next week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Sorry. Where can people get in touch with you if they need to? Oh, the, the easiest is my uh, work email address, and it's lucas, L-U-C-A-S, dot Pauline, P-A-U-L-I-N-E, at mayo, dot E-D-U. Or uh, my personal uh, um, work, my personal work address, uh, which is uh, Phoenix Yoga and Meditation at gmail.com. Great. All right. So thank you again. Sorry about that. And if anyone... Um, uh, has any questions about this, you can also find me on Twitter at, at Karen Litzy NYC. So again, thank you all. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.